One did uh, not have to spend much time with Leslie Purvis to discover that Leslie loved Jesus. Leslie was one of the first people I met when I arrived here at St. Aidan's, and my family even had the pleasure of hosting her and Alan at our home in Baltimore before moving to Windsor. It was a great night of getting to know one another. And I saw firsthand how Leslie would come to life as she began to speak about Jesus, to speak of the work of the church and just what the future had in store for all who followed Christ. Not sure if you would have realized it if you just said hello to her on a Sunday morning, but if you got Leslie going on that topic, <laughs> if you think some of my sermons are long, friends, buckle up. <laughs> From seemingly the moment I met Leslie, her zeal for the Lord and his word was impossible to miss. She was filled with the desire to know Jesus more, to study the Bible more deeply, and to ensure that others knew that they had a Savior who loves them and died for them. Whether it was during Sunday services or teaching Sunday school or whatever it might be, Jesus was at the center of Leslie's life, and she looked for countless ways to serve him. Knowing all of that about her, it probably should not surprise, should have surprised me, though it did, when Alan requested that we read and, and I preach on the story of the rich man and Lazarus. This story is a true gem in the Gospel of Luke, and it, at, at minimum it tells us that Leslie was a woman of discerning taste. After all, it just so happens to be my favorite parable as well. <laughs> I did not mind at all when Alan requested it. So much of what we learn in this parable was at the heart of Leslie's faith. It held a firm and sure place in her. And the first way we see that is in our text where it tells us that the condition of a person's soul is not revealed by the condition they have in this world. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, by any worldly measure, the rich man in this parable had the better life. He had nice clothes, large meals every day. He had a house so big that he needed a gate. He had all the comforts, all the pleasures of this life. They were his. And then there's Lazarus, homeless covered in sores, ignored by those who could have helped him. There is nothing appealing about Lazarus. Nothing enviable about his state of life. We see even from, way the, from the way the rich man speaks of him that Lazarus only had value to this rich man as one that could be commanded. Even in the afterlife, his words, Father Abraham... Tell that Lazarus. Send that Lazarus. Get Lazarus to do this for me. Dip his finger to cool my tongue. 
Even in the afterlife, the rich man cannot be bothered to even speak directly to one that he believed to be less than him. Looking only at their earthly lives, it is easy to assume that it is the rich man who is blessed. And it is equally easy to assume that Lazarus must have done something to deserve his lot in life. That's what we do when hard times come, right? We assume that we have done something to deserve this. Clearly, Lazarus is being punished. And yet, in the end, it is Lazarus who finds himself in eternal comfort and bliss while it is the rich man who is condemned. What that tells us is something that Leslie held to deeply. That our eternal home is based not on the apparent favor in this life that that we see in possessions and, and worldly blessings, but on the state of our soul before God. The state of our hearts. This picture is a parable of two souls. One soul that loved and trusted in God, the other soul that trusted only in himself and loved nothing more than his money. And we see that by what's implied here. The rich man actually understands where he is. He's not questioning his condemnation. And so he asks Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers so that they can avoid his fate. In response, Abraham points him to the scriptures. That is what it means when he says Moses and the prophets. That was a title that was commonly used for what we now call the Old Testament. Even now, though, the rich man is convinced that actually he has the answer. He has the right answer. The answer is not found in the word of God. No, not at all. He has the answer. No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. To his credit, he finally gets something right. And it is that last word, repent. That is the key word in all of this, isn't it? Repentance. Repentance from trusting in things other than God, for living for the things of this world. For those of us who know the rest of the story then, Abraham's response should be absolutely striking. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convicted or convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus places these words in the mouth of Abraham so that those with eyes to see and ears to hear could realize that Jesus is pointing people to himself. He's revealing to them that all of the scriptures point to Jesus himself as the salvation we all need. It was he who would go to the cross and die for us. It was he that would rise again, trampling sin and death, conquering them once and for all. What Leslie knew was what the Bible bears witness to this very truth, that she and every single one of us are in need of a Savior. And what the Bible teaches us is that where we end up 
is about who our heart belongs to. Does our heart belong to Jesus? That is the question. It is the question that drove everything she did here. Does our heart belong to Jesus? Not the things of this world which are here today and gone tomorrow, but to the one who grants us eternal life. The one of whom it is is said when he returns that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. That is what Christ does. The faithful submitted heart, that is the one that finds rest in Christ. And submitted is the word that we could use to describe Lazarus. You might ask, how could we know that? If you look at the text, there's actually nothing that explicitly says anything about Lazarus's faith. There's nothing that explicitly says that he was submitted to God. Well, besides the obvious answer of where he ends up compared to where the rich man ends up, there's something more going on here. It is helpful to note that in all the parables of Jesus, all the parables that he used throughout his ministry, and there are many, there is only one character that was given a name, and it's Lazarus. All of the other people in his parables, they were the the sower, the younger and the elder sons, the laborers, or simply a woman or a man. Here, Lazarus is given a name, and the name tells the whole story. Because Lazarus means God has helped. God has helped. Imagine that poor Lazarus, homeless, broken, so down that people wouldn't even bother stopping to talk to him. Those who could have helped him ignored him. It's as low as you can get. No one would help him. God has helped. God has helped. That is how he comes to peace and rest. That is how he finds himself where he is in the afterlife. God has helped. He knew where his help came from. No one had to convince Lazarus that he couldn't save himself. No one had to convince Lazarus that it was useless to trust in our money or our jobs or our social status or whatever it might be for our protection and salvation. No one had to convince Lazarus of anything because his name said it all. There's a reason Jesus gives this man a name. We are to pay attention to it. God has helped. Peace, rest, salvation, freedom from all that plagues us. All of it is found with the simple confession of our hearts that we need God to help us. We need him. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is what Paul tells us in Romans. And that means eternal peace. That means freedom from all that ails us. Freedom from the fibromyalgia that plagued Leslie. 
Freedom from pandemics and the physical and mental toll that that has taken on so many of us. Freedom from all of it. Peace and rest. That is what Leslie has in store for her. That is what Leslie has in store for her. For the, that is the promise of God to all who confess faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote that when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the promise of God to all who believe in him. That is what Leslie can enjoy now. Now it turns out, I'm not God. Do try to contain your surprise. <laughs> try as I might, I've not yet gotten there. <laughs> I can't look into everyone's heart. I can't tell you what is there. I can't tell you what is at the center of them. But I can look upon the word of God that our dear friend loves so much. And I can trust in the promises that I find there that for the Christian, death is not the final word. Death is not the final word. I can hear that and I can trust in that and I can think of Leslie and I can have confidence that she is at peace because she is at peace with Jesus. And peace is the word that I want to leave us with today. We are gathered here today and we are grieving and that is appropriate. This is a sad and shocking moment. None of us expected this. It is perfectly fine and appropriate to acknowledge that. It's, it, is, it is perfectly appropriate to be confused, to be frustrated, certainly to be sad, maybe even angered. But as we feel those things, you know what is still true? God has helped. God is my help. God is your help. He is the help for all eternity, and he is our help here in the immediate. You who are mourning, God is your help. He is your comfort. You who are confused, God is your help. You who are asking why, God is your help. That is what Leslie knew. She knew the Lord is her help. And because of her faith in Christ, we can trust that she is at rest in the tender care of our Lord. You who love her, know what she would want you to know. God is your help. You have a Savior who loves you and died for you, for Leslie, for all of us, for all time. And he sees you now, even in your grief. Jesus Christ is your help. Turn to him and find the comfort for your wounded heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.